are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms. I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W-2 Capitalist. We are here to help you not only navigate the W-2 capitalist world as you climb the corporate ladder, but help you build wealth through real estate investing for yourself and for your family. And I got to bring it on Aaron Fragnito, right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. That was great. Aaron. How many times have you heard that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, When I first came out, I got it all the time, but you know. That is one of the funniest skits. I'm probably going to go watch this after uh, after we finish. (laughs) I need a good Uh, laugh. But Aaron is uh, a real estate investor based in New Jersey, also invests in New Jersey, focuses on uh, syndication, multifamily. And here's one of the things I love about Aaron is when he sent over his bio, he was like, okay, here's here's the deal. It's just straight bullet points, straight things. So I'm going to run through this real quick. But you're a co-founder of People's Capital Group, also known as PCG. Uh, currently holds, PCG currently holds a $10 million portfolio. You're host of the New Jersey Real Estate Network, a licensed New Jersey realtor, and a full-time real estate investor. Uh, you also host the... Uh, Cash flow, passive cash flow passive, podcast. I totally messed that up. Passive, I gotta add that in there. I gotta add that to my bio. That is it. Passive cash flow uh, podcast. Uh, Aaron has completed over 250 real estate transactions, totaling more than 40 million dollars in real estate in, in his career. So, Aaron, how long have you been involved in real estate as a realtor or as an investor? Well, about 10 years. I got licensed okay. in 2010 as a realtor. That was actually my first step. You know, I made a list of what I wanted. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad around graduating college and actually moved out to Colorado for six months to teach kids how to ski. And I read David Lindahl and Trump <laughs> University and realized how easy it would be to start my uh, real estate investment company, you know, yeah. and, uh, and just uh, really easy peasy. So, you know, I made a list. I want to get to a million dollars uh, net worth of in real estate with a hundred thousand dollars a year in passive cash flow. And I said, well, you know, I don't have any money or know how, how am I going to get there? So I need to make connections, you know, uh, team up with people smarter than me, team up with deeper pockets, learn how to raise capital, learn the industry, learn transactions. I said, okay, well, I'll get started with getting my license, you know, as a realtor. And, uh, and that's what I did. I moved back to New Jersey around 2010 and, and got licensed and made uh, about $500 in my first six months. Yeah, <laughs> and how did that first six months um, make you feel? Oh, terrible. I mean, it was the hardest <laughs> six months of my life, probably. You know, I mean, I joked about, you know, that with my wife and my partner today, you know, um, how it's hard right now with everything going on. It almost feels yeah. like those days when you're getting started, like, you know, the phone's not ringing, you know, and I, I now the company's moving and churning and burning and it's crazy when things slow down, you know, yeah. and it's, it's kind of scary, but um, if, yeah, it was good for pulling a reference, it is May the f- hey Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo hey. to you if you celebrate that. Yeah. Uh, but it's May fifth. We're in the middle of this uh, COVID uh, era, if you will. Um, mm. And before I hit the record button, and 
forgot how to count down from three or actually the number <laughs> of fingers counted up to three. Uh, we were talking about how different the markets are. Uh, you being in New Jersey, which is, uh, I heard it labeled the other day that New York, like the Northeast part of the country is like the Epic Center, Epic Center of Epicenter or Epic Epi- Center? Epicenter. Epi- Epicenter, yeah. Epicenter. Epic right. center, bro. Epic center. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, it's the epicenter of, festival. yeah. yeah. <laughs> the epicenter of um, what's going on with COVID and you, you started going into, you've actually had some, you have a residential side of your or business too, where mm-hmm. you've had a lot of things go on. And one of them was um, one of the buyers, uh, potential buyers um, actually passed away from, from COVID, right? So there's well, one, one of my tenants uh, oh, had passed tenants. away. And um, now he, he was, I think, in his 80s or so. Uh, but, you know, yes, a very crazy um, scenario, you know, where one of my tenants actually passed away from uh, COVID-19. Another one has it. Uh, we're working out, obviously, payment plans with any tenants that have also fallen behind. I mean, overall, though, we're actually at about 90% collections on our buildings nice. right now which is a testament to the strength of our management company. And that's, you know, really our competitive edge is that we have our own management company and manage everything in house here in North Jersey. Uh, but yeah, man, it, there's no doubt about it. You know, my, uh, the, the other half of our business is flipping houses and wholesaling houses, which is the residential part of our business. And that is struggling right now. You know, we have about, uh, I have about $350,000 of equity. I was about to cash out on about seven transactions and, Man, you know how that is. You know, yeah. you kind of count your chickens and they're about to hatch and, and the spring market's coming. And, you know, as house flippers, the spring market's where you make your profit and you yeah. get your cash. You get your profit, you know. And as a small business owner, we work so hard for that moment. And it'll come. It's We still have the assets. You know, the bills are still coming in on them and the buyer's mortgages didn't work out. But I, I think a lot of them are going to come back around and, and I'm looking forward to the market getting back to normal. But um. Yeah, that's it's tough times in the residential department, but the cash flow is still coming in on the multifamily. I got to say. Yeah, when you say normal, how long do you think it, it's going to be until things are back to normal in well, your you know, I, in your area, right? In the markets yeah. that you service. I mean, lucky for me, I do actually have a crystal ball. I keep it in my backyard. Dude, um, tell me the yeah, lottery so numbers, and then we can go buy a bunch good. of real estate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't. I don't give you lottery numbers. Oh, I wish they did. They just give me uh, predictions on the real estate market. That's how I've done so well. That's my secret, my deal devil. Yeah. Uh, right. So, <laughs> no, nah, man, you know, I, I think that in, by July, um, it doesn't really matter what the government tells us anymore, what CNN tells us anymore. You can't hold. I'm a small business owner. I like to go outdoors, I like to live my life. It's going to get to a point where. We just have to go back to running our business and living our lives. And, and we're going to take the right precautions to do it and wearing the mask and washing the hands and social distancing. But, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. I was talking to someone who cuts hair the other day and he's like, listen, uh, people are calling me for haircuts and I'm going to their house and I'm wearing a mask and they're wearing a mask and we're not shaking hands. And, and it is what it is. And when I get back in my car, I sanitize and I've gone to my next. And if the, if the police found out about that, they'd arrest this guy, you know, Which is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. You know, we live in America. You can't arrest someone for stopping by and cutting hair on your back deck, yeah. but that's what it's come to, you know? And as uh, I won't bring politics into this, but let's just say, Less government, I think, is better government. And overall, it's pretty scary what we're seeing right now, government yeah. control. 
you you and I are are uh, aligned in that area for sure. Less government <laughs> is is better, and there are a lot of uh, conspiracy theories out there of of why and how and all this. But it basically comes down to, you know, what you said. Regardless of who's behind it, what's behind it, eventually Americans are going to say, "Okay, enough is enough. I'm going back to the way I." want to live my life blah, blah, blah. and it's going to happen we're already starting to see some of that now right mm-hmm. and uh we were talking to some friends who uh, we live near the beach they don't and um they basically said hey we're going to the beach this weekend like, <laughs> all right sounds good you know uh it, it's up to you but um uh, but yeah it's it's crazy it's 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 awesome to see businesses pivot and move to do mm-hmm. what they need to do. Right. Sure. And I think it's going to show the government that I don't, we don't care what you tell us. We're still going to, we're still going to be Americans, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of politics I think that goes into it. And um, it, it's, it's um, difficult to understand what the real rules are and how much feet do we yes. keep and what drugs are actually helping people. Cause there are things they're finding out that are actually causing the disease to be less powerful and, uh, less crippling. And, and, you know, I think over time, we're going to get further on the cure, eventually get to a vaccine. Um, but, you know, we, we've dealt with um, viruses in our, for, for generations, it's nothing new. Yeah. And, and, you know, years ago and generations ago would take out a quarter of the population or something, you know, or crazy numbers to 2% of the population died, I think, from the Spanish flu in, in the early 1900s or wow. so, right? And, you know, so now, um, obviously we want, we have better healthcare, we have better hygiene and we have better systems and we're handling this better than, than ever. And, you know, people say these numbers of, of hundreds of thousands of people dying and I get it. It's scary. It's sad, but a hundred, you know, people die every day from lots of different things. And we have exactly. to recognize yep. there's a cost of life. If we're going to kill our economy, you know, depression, suicide, uh, loss of healthcare, loss of housing. Um, and that kills people too. Right. And it kills yeah. healthy people. Right. People like me and you. Right. And and uh, and that's what's scary also. So where's that middle point? And it's yeah. funny if you're on the right, you know, you want to go out and, and uh, live your life. If you're on the left, you want to stay in and listen to the government. It's really we are in our tribes, you know, and it, it we shows are. Yeah. Yeah. the uh, and to that point, I read an article the other day on LinkedIn um, that talked specifically about that is that there they I don't forget. Remember. I don't remember who did the actual study, but it basically said that the death toll from shutting down the economy was 140% greater than that of actual people dying from Mm COVID-19. And they went into all, I mean, it was a very detailed uh, article about depression, uh, getting hooked on drugs and all this other stuff that people sure. can commit suicide and all this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I never even thought about that. You know, I keep hearing that cause I don't watch the news. I, my wife updates me or I'll, somebody will update me on whatever's going yeah. on, but I, I don't necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm just a happier person for it. It's something I did about a decade ago and it's been life changing for me. Wow. So you're ahead of the uh, curve there. Wow. I, yeah. I, well, I, I read, um, Tim Ferriss's uh, four hour work week mm-hmm. in, about that time. And that was one of the things, one of the few things that I got from that book, the rest of it was almost pure nonsense, but 
I don't know. Answer your emails once a week. Like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever ran a real estate investment company, but if I don't yeah. respond to my investor for a week, yeah, he's going to take his money elsewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he he definitely won me over by the catchy title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, but one thing I did was I, I unplugged from the news, and it's been it's been great ever since. But let's talk more about um, your business in New Jersey, right? So you're syndicating out, and I want to focus on the syndication part um, because that, quite frankly, that was that's what interests me the most. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You you are a lot further, uh, talk about being ahead of the curve, you're a lot further along um, down your journey of passive cash flow and, and, and real estate investing than I am. So I want to focus on syndication because that's where I'm going to do more of, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a general partner in 142 unit. I'm a limited partner in two others, um, bringing the total of about 300 and something units that I'm a part of in one fashion or another. But this year... I want to focus on more, uh, getting more active in the general partner side and finding deals and locating deals. One of the things that I know on your website, it, it talks about exclusive off-market deals, right? Mm-hmm. And I found this on uh, peoplescapitalgroup.com, but exclusive off-market deals. Now, the one deal that I was part of, a uh, general partner on, it was an off-market deal as well. Right. Sure. And it happened to be a realtor connection to another realtor. Uh, and then he was like, well, I've kind of got this listing, but I don't blah, blah, blah. We've had it on the market. It didn't sell. We ended up scooping it up um, for a pretty good discount. And I guess the timing was just right. But to me, that was a needle in a haystack. Right. Sure. Uh, and that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about finding some of these and don't, don't let everything out of the bag, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. But how do you go <laughs> f- about finding these off market deals? What do you, what do you do? Well, it is not cheap. We spend a lot of money on direct mail marketing to older uh, landlords and um, it takes sometimes years to develop relationships with them. Um, often we deal with their shenanigans a little bit off the bat and, you know, we kind of I laugh because I know exactly what you're talking about, but dive into the, the uh, mom and pop, uh, older landlord shenanigans. What do you mean by that? So like, many shenanigans and there's no better word to explain it, but <laughs> no, shenanigans, not. literally, you know, um, it's just constant, you know, I mean, when we do buy deals through brokers and I actually prefer to go through a broker who has an off-market deal, pocket listing that's not on LoopNet, you know? Right. And that that can also be considered off-market, even if it's through a broker, like you were saying. And there's different scenarios. Maybe it's an expired listing where that's a great way to get deals too. But I would say some of the best real estate deals I've ever found are just through direct mail marketing to older landlords and, and owners. And I do that in residential real estate for singles and twos. And I do that for properties uh, up to five or 10 million here in North Jersey as well. Um, but it's not cheap. It'll cost me about $10,000 in direct mail marketing to find that deal. Um, it's a lot of time wasted, a lot of shenanigans, a lot of people that are going to call you up and say, I'm ready to sell. You go look at your property. You do hours of due diligence. You present a number. You're back and forth. You settle on a number. And then you're like, oh, I called up my sister and she said she's going to buy it. And I'm like, oh, I'm a sister this whole time. And then she's like, I, she doesn't have any money, but I'm just going to, I'm going to give it to her or whatever the story. And then yeah. or, um, a lot of times, you know, whatever it is, they, they called up their realtor friend who told them we were 
lowballing them. And then they're like, well, they're going to give me 5% more and charge a 5% commission. So I'm going to go mm-hmm. with them. You're getting the same amount. At the end. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> right now we're dealing with an 80 year old owner. He's having trouble walking up the steps and that's why he's selling us the real estate. And he gave us a pretty good price off the bat. And we found a couple things, the home inspection. And, you know, he's a hard negotiator. His attitude the whole time has been, you don't like it. There's the door. Yeah. You know, his whole Most time. of them are like that. My, my very limited experience has been these guys, you know, I, I hope that I'm not like that one day. <laughs> Although if my, my wife were to scoot in here, she'd go, well, too late, you know? Uh, but these guys, they, that is a great phrase. They are hard, hard negotiators. They don't, they don't care if you're not going to buy it. Somebody else will kind of thing. Right. Right. So, right. And like, you know, Oh, you told us the rent roll with, you know, or whatever, one of your tenants isn't paying. So the, that affects your cap rate. You say cap rate to an 80 year old landlord. He's like cap. What? You know, you don't, I, we agreed on nine, da, 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 and that's yeah. the number we agreed. You shook my hand, you know, and we'll be like, you know, um, you have to get the green card. It's in the contract or whatever. And he'll be like, well, I changed my mind on the green card. Be like we're closing in two weeks. You can't do that. And he was like, there's the door, you know, and, and uh, so, <laughs> you, know, you just What's have to green decide. Card, by the way, what is, what is the green card? So in New Jersey, every five years, the state comes out and inspects your property randomly they don't even tell you when they're coming out they just send an inspector out to your property they knock on the door and if one of your tenants happens to let them in they go through whatever they can go through you need slow closed doors you need hardwired spoken carbons you need handrails all the whistles and bells right wow and then the tenant i've had a tenant let them into the basement and they i mean i've had tenants complain about everything right to left and they write that all down and then they get in and knock on all the doors and it's a random inspection of your property every five years by the state, which they then create a list of violations, not even notifying you about. You are responsible for calling them every five years, figuring out if they inspected your property, if there's any violations, what type of fees are on top of that. And I've had them to try and hit us for $20,000 in fees and penalties for something they never even notified us about. And they're like, oh, well, you were supposed to call us. So you haven't called us for three years. So 20 grand. Wow. Do you end up having to pay 20 grand? Nope. We hired an attorney. We got to negotiate yeah. down to eight. Good. After paying him two. Yeah. No. Awesome. Awesome. So about <laughs> half price there for shenanigans, for government shenanigans. For government shenanigans, landlord shenanigans. But they, that's our job, man, to know these markets. Now we know to call the uh, green card uh, yeah. department, you know, whenever you buy a property because your title company will likely not call the green card department. Your mm. attorney may not think of it either. And so as a buyer in New Jersey, that's a million dollar tip. Uh, three yeah. units and up requires a green card. Three units wow. and up, check that out. Yeah, I, that's the first time I've heard of, of green cards existing uh, anywhere. Um, but they, they don't exist in Florida, and I know they don't exist in Alabama. So, Yeah, uh, yeah. One time I had someone who paid $30,000 to a guru who will remain nameless, and uh, we've all heard of him, though. And uh, they're, they're buying real estate in New Jersey, and he's like, ask his coach for thirty grand. What's a green card? He's like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. That's a that's a uh, immigration thing. It's nothing to do with real estate. And uh, he got nailed on green card violations years later. Wow. Um, yeah. These old gurus. <laughs> Dime a dozen. Dime a dozen. Now. They are, man. Um, I could talk to you for for hours about how you're separating yourself from those folks and probably pick your brain, but <laughs> want to stick with the real estate because I know that's what right. the folks are, are wanting to hear. Sure. You, so you are a syndicator, right? So you go find these deals, you put them together, and then you raise money for the down payment. 
actually to purchase the property, do whatever value add, if you're doing value add for that deal, whatnot. What does a typical deal structure look like for you? And if I'm a potential investor, why, what am I going to get in return? Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And there's basically two different ways the syndications are normally created. Um, Large syndications that buy 50 million, 100 million, $200 million properties tend to pool capital together um, and have something called a preferred rate of return where the first profits coming out of the building, the first positive cash flow goes to the passive investors until they earn a certain return, maybe a 6% return on investment. And then after that, the monies are dispersed out to the investors um, equally and the operators as well. However, their split is maybe a 30-70 or something like that, or 50-50 to operators and investors. Now, that's a a good uh, strategy for large, large funds that are dealing with lots of investors. And those funds tend to charge something called an asset management fee. Right, and that might be one or two percent of the money they raise, or the or the cost of the building, and they pay themselves that every year. Okay, maybe it's broken out monthly, but they get that asset management fee, um, kind of like a financial advisor takes one to two percent off the top, or a stockbroker. Right now, Seth and I never like that model because you're basically paying yourself to be a money manager. Right, you're mm-hmm. taking a fee off the top, and listen, you might do great with the asset, and your investors might love their pref return, and maybe they get a little more kicker on top. But, you know, and that, that's good for a lot of investors, and that's good for those funds. But that's not how we structure ours. You know, we believe in uh, performance pay. So Seth and I get paid when we close on a property because we raised all the capital and personally guaranteed you worked, the bank. Right? Yeah, yeah, we spent 20 yeah. grand to find it and looked at 400 shitty deals, brought you one, you know, and uh, I mean, bad deals. And uh, they, <laughs> it's they okay. There are shitty deals out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it, that's it, man. And you know, so that, that's it. And, you, and um, but basically we uh, charge, you know, um, an acquisition fee when we close, uh, which is 2% of the sale price. Uh, we do not charge an asset management fee because we don't believe on getting paid whether you did your job right or not, right? We get paid when our investors get paid on positive cash flow. You know, we have to hit that positive cash flow mark to get our, our, our pay, our piece of the cash flow. Uh, we have to hit that refinance appraisal value to get that cash out refinance, you know? Um, so it's performance pay. If we don't perform, we don't get paid. You know, and that's how humans work. That's how the brain works. That gets me out of bed in the morning. And that keeps me honest when I put projections out there five years in advance, you know, I need to be honest with those numbers. Yeah. And are most, most of these deals, I know there's two different types of syndications, right? As as far as the SEC is concerned, uh, 501C and 501E, I'm I'm butchering it. I haven't looked it up in a while. C and B and there's an A. Yeah. Yeah. Are most of these uh, where you have to be an accredited investor of a million, million dollars in net worth or 200,000 in, in income? Sort of no, we, or? we actually uh, kind of pride ourselves on working with a smaller non-accredited investor. Um, yep. We do have to work with sophisticated investors, which is yep. essentially the next level down from accredited. So if our, if you have a minimum $30,000, you understand the investment opportunity, meaning you kind of review the offering memorandum and we, you know, talk to you about it for, at length. And you have some experience in the asset class, meaning owning a home or maybe you bought an income property. You know, yep. um, it's a little gray, honestly, um, but... You know, that, it is, that would qualify you to invest. It is definitely um, gray. And for that reason, I'm going to say you or I are not lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I qualify as a sophisticated investor, I don't know that you do. 
<laughs> Aaron doesn't know that if you do, and you used air quotes around sophisticated, right? So uh, I'm, I'm agreement with you. Yeah, it's sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there is a great definition in there, and uh, your legal team will help you figure that out, right? And yeah. your CPA will definitely help you figure that out. So. Exactly. Uh, and, and like another thing, one more thing too, I like to do is I don't like to take um, your entire investment, right? So uh, one thing you want to ask someone, if you're out there being an operator or raising capital, the, the most rule of thumb is, hey, is, do you need this money to live on, right? Are you yeah. expecting to live on the proceeds of this investment? And if those answers are yes to either one, you really have to hit the brakes and say, listen, I'd love to work with your capital. I'd love to build your wealth. But instead of giving me 100% of your investment capital, give me 50% hold on to the other 50% and diversify, you know, yeah. or, or maybe bring to put together some more capital. We'll talk in a year or two. Um, you know, so that's, what we try to do. I don't really want to take any more than 50% of someone's available investment capital, whether it's their IRA or, or savings. So that's part of our qualification process is to see what your wealth is without being too intrusive or make it too frustrating. But we do want to figure out, you know, that and make sure it's smart investment for you and, and for us. I think that question is incredible. I, I don't know that I've heard uh, anybody else ask it that way. So I, that, is, that is all. You saw me writing it down. I'm stealing that from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love your name, W2 Capitalist, because that's it, right? I mean, that's yeah. the people we're trying to connect with. Um, a lot, some of my best investors are doctors and dentists. Yeah. And they're some of the sharpest, greatest minds that are saving our lives right now, really every day. But now we're right. actually giving them recognition for it. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, oh, right. Doctors. We like this, right? <laughs> Uh, but they're great, you know, and they're so smart. But I meet doctors that don't know what the term ROI means, right? I mean, they could do right. open heart surgery on you or fix your brain, but they don't know what the term ROI they means. They don't know how to run a business, right? right. Which and, is and, what and, this is, right? right? They don't know how to deal with tenants. They don't know how to run a business. And sure, like you sure said, you've got the leg up on uh, your competition because you guys have your own management company, which is a key part of... This. Well, it's not even... And I'm, again, we're not knocking it. Doctors, I'm saying that they're actually... It's, it's a shame that they're not taught financial education, right? And we right. really, none of us are taught financial education. I'm an entrepreneur major at a Rome university and I learned what debits and credits are, you know, but now when I, it's time to taxes, I call my accountant anyway. But basically, you know, we weren't learned, uh, taught how to build wealth, what wealth creation is and why the wealthier get wealthier. And the W-2s in the world can make a half a million dollars a year and work 80 hours a week, but you're never really going to get ahead right. if you don't know how to build wealth. And that's exactly. what I learned after college, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, uh, the most, the most I've learned uh, about wealth building started with when I picked, you mentioned it earlier, when I picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad about six years ago, I was like, wow, aha moment right there. Let's, I've got to revamp this whole thing that I was thinking of um, Mm -hmm. on how to build wealth for our family. So when you talk about some of your best investors are uh, doctors and, and whatnot, how do you approach these guys about investing? How do you get them on board, right? Um, yes, d- doctors are one of the hardest groups to access um, because quite frankly, everyone's trying to get their attention, you know, right. um, financial advisors, you name it, right? And we're up against guys like Merrill Lynch and some JP mm-hmm. Morgan, you know, some real heavy hitters that you don't, it doesn't matter how smart a money advisor you are, you know, a money manager, if you're, you got JP Morgan behind you, you're trusted. You know, it's a brand. Right it's a brand name, brand recognition thing, right? Incredible brand, right? So, yeah. so we're you know in that space, we're up against individuals like that. But um, you know, we you have to come off as a, as a source of knowledge, right? A thought leader, an educator. I just wrote an ebook. It took me hours to write it, 
It's on the internet for free. You can go to peoplescapitalgroup.com and click it and download it and boom, there it is. 30 pages of Aaron's, you know, 10 years of real estate knowledge and, and one for free, you know. Um, would I love to charge $50 a download? Absolutely, you, especially in these tough times. But that's not how this business is done, at least in, on our side. You know, we are a little different than a lot of other uh, uh, our, our, our competitors out there, I won't call them gurus, uh, but our competitors out there. And, uh, a great you know, distinguishing factor there. I love it. I love it. You know, we, we consciously don't sell coaching and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not knocking not guys that do, but we don't do the coaching. We don't do the books. We don't do the CDs. Maybe one day we will, but I also consciously didn't build an education business because um, what I found was the doctors and people out there, um, first of all, they really don't want to buy your book or CD and they don't really need to delve, you know, dive into the real estate industry and know A, B, and C, cap rates and collections and vacancy and fractions and this and that, you know, emerging, you know, it, they, they can learn as much as they want about that, but they don't necessarily have to know every moving piece of real estate investment, right? That's yeah. really your job as operators. So first of all, that's overkill. And most of the people that actually buy that stuff don't really dig into it all that much. And um, secondly, you can only sell so many things, right? We, we are selling a passive investment in a New Jersey apartment building and a nice turnkey opportunity to break into this market, right? And that, that's it. So if I'm saying, oh, by the way, you could buy this for here. You could do for $99 a month. You can get, the, you know, um, now you're kind of selling too many things. So I think, first of all, you want to come off as a, as a thought leader that is an open book. Secondly, don't start with selling something. Start with offering something to them. Um, and, yeah. you know, thirdly, just build that relationship. I had a 90-minute podcast yesterday with a doctor um, Dr. Gordon Chu, who you're going to see come out in the Passive Cashflow podcast uh, next three weeks. We have a, a 30 minute, three 30-minute episodes coming out. And he's a multimillionaire, inventor, doctor, scientist, incredible guy. And, you know, listen, he may or may not invest in people's capital group. It doesn't really matter. I'm building a relationship with this individual. And I, at no time have I really said, hey, you know, do you want to invest? He knows what I do. He knows what's going on. <laughs> You know, for high net worth individuals, you don't really ask for the sale. You're just a resource. So eventually they will ask you for the sale. Yeah. yeah. So I like what you said. That one thing I'm beginning to develop uh, as I'm sitting here listening to talk, you are super laser focused. You focus just in New Jersey, right? Where a lot of syndicators kind of go where the deals are. You focus just on providing multifamily uh, opportunities right? And you focus on not the coaching piece, right? And now I will, I will defend the coaching piece for just a little bit. I'm not necessarily a coach, right? right? I do host a mastermind and everybody that I interview to come into the mastermind, I'll tell them that the best calls that we have, and it's all virtual, right? Is when I am just guiding the call to make sure we stay on time and we're not there until midnight, although that's happened before, is when I back away and these guys just help one another out and they go after it. So it's not really coaching, but it is just a virtual meetup, right? Which yeah, um, yeah. are hugely beneficial if you're doing it virtually or if you're in person, which hopefully we'll get back to the in-person uh, piece soon. For those who like to go in person, I'm, I'm not one of those no, absolutely. guys. <laughs> absolutely. I think what I was getting at is oh, like, that's a great way. And that's something that actually I might be interested in, like a mastermind group like that. So 
you know, um, or something like that. Maybe we can talk more about that. But yeah. that's a great resource, right? And that's yeah. and people are so hungry for knowledge in real estate, and people will pay for knowledge because college at costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's it is fair to charge. It should no, it should not. <laughs> Don't give me on that kick. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a waste of money. Right, I put my it kids is. becoming a plumber. Yeah, yeah. HVAC tech. Yeah. So had the best advice my dad ever gave me. Um, I was a freshman in high school. And so he was a fireman and most firemen on the uh, side, they work, they work a second job, right? So he had connections to plumbers, electricians, and just general, general contractors. And he told me when I started my freshman year of high school, I was like, man, I want to get a job. I want, I want some money. And he goes, well, here's what you need to do. You need to every summer, one summer you need to go work for a plumber. One summer you need to work for an electrician. One summer you need to work for a general contractor. Uh-huh. I've got all the people that I know and trust that already do this. He's been working with them for years. I was like, nope. I'm too good for that. Mm-hmm. Best advice somebody ever gave me, and I did not take it. <laughs> and I'm just thinking how different, you know, I would have been today if I would have done that. I, I would well, like, know the trade. Yeah, I mean, right? the, I think the only time I lost money in real estate uh, was when I was hiring contractors, general contractors, and guys do were renovating my properties, our properties, Seth and I, and uh, we didn't know more or enough about construction to manage yeah. them properly. Right. Yep. They would say, oh, this is going to cost X, Y, Z. And you have 14 projects going on. You don't have time to figure out exactly what he's paying for materials, exactly what his labor is going to. Yeah. You know, that's his job to, to give us a fair, good price. And um, so we grew very quickly flipping houses and we are great at flipping small and mid house, mid sized houses. And then we said, hey, we're such good house flippers. Why don't we flip million dollar homes, you know, around 2015 or so. And uh, we use the same inner city contractors to then go do the renovations on those big million dollar homes out in the suburbs because they said, of course, we could do that. Sure. Not only can we do it, sir, we could do it for half the price your high end contractors are telling you because they don't know what they're talking about. And <laughs> we're like, wow, okay, we can make a killing on this million dollar flip. And they gutted the entire property and then realized that it's going to cost, it gave us even a higher price than the, first, the mm-hmm. high end guy who high-end was guy. right the first time. And, you know, we, we lost our shirt on it. So we made good to our investors. We learned a lot from the experience, you know, but I learned more from those mistakes. And, and it's always the contractors you hire because you're hire you're basically running a construction company, right? Yep. And, Another thing about what a lot of people teach out there is go flip houses. It's an easy fucking real estate. The, the hardest fuck I've ever made was flipping a house. You know, the hardest dollar. I have yet to flip a house and uh, I don't know that I'm going to get there. I get this itch every now and then to do something. My wife's like, well, I got this project that we can go do here. You know, if you want to satisfy that craving, I'm like, okay, let's go do it. Oh, man. We, we consider this our living flip, our second living flip. Uh, basically we tore down a bunch of walls and and did all that stuff. But anyway, um, one of the things you talk about on your, on your website too, is a low monthly investment or not monthly, a low minimum, can't even read my own handwriting, low minimum investment amount. So when somebody wants to come to you and say, Hey, I'm interested looking at your portfolio or the next deal you're bringing in. What is, what does low mean? Put an actual number around the portfolio. So our minimum investment is $30,000. And again, that kind of goes back to you want investors that are on solid financial footing, you know, but you don't have to be a millionaire. Uh, One of our investors is a contractor that we work with and he definitely falls in the category sophisticated investor and he's been investing with us for years. He loves it. So, 
um, you know, that makes it, a lot of our investors are realtors that just had a big closing and yeah. put the uh, full check into the investment there, you know, and, um, and it's a way for them to kind of put that money away and not blow it on, uh, you know, luxury items, vacations, and, and just invest it properly. So, yeah, I mean, but less than 30000 um, is tough, you know, so that, that is our minimum investment. And for people that have less than that, you can look at different websites like Fundrise or whatnot. Um, you know, and then the other thing we see, you know, a lot of people that put out like Grant Cardone allows you to invest like $5,000 or something. But I think that's a risk because a lot of those investors that only have $5,000 to invest, um, do need that money to live on or need the returns. And if you're not paying out monthly returns right now and people are relying on that to live on, then, then that, that's a risk. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you guys do for distributions? Do you, do you do a monthly? I've seen monthly, which I think is pretty aggressive, but then most people do like a quarterly uh, distribution. What, what do you guys focus on? We do quarterly distributions. It, it is much easier. Um, yeah. and quite frankly, if you're spending all that money on bookkeeping and accounting to do the monthly distribution, it actually eats away. you know, that's, that's more operating costs. Yeah. You know, so the, by keeping our operating costs low, we can charge a very low management fee um, about two thirds of what we would normally be paying a management company. And of course our management company is going to be much more aggressive than any other. Right. Um, so not only do we keep tight management of the building, but we keep that cost much lower than normally would have been. And that just performs that allows the building to perform better. Gotcha. So one last question I want to ask you, uh, something else from your website, uh, again, people's capital group.com. You, I think it was on a headline. Um, what is it? What is it? Better results than a 401k. <laughs> now, uh, up until three months ago, <laughs> that would have been a hard sell, right? Because the stock market was just booming and booming and booming. Right. And I don't know how you got away with it then, but I definitely see how you could get away with it now. Because if you had money in stocks uh, or, you know, or 401k or whatnot, and you left it in there, now what? what uh, money manager will tell you is that just don't, just don't look at it. Just 10 years, it's going to come back, blah, blah, blah. I'm not willing to put my money into something and wait 10 years on it. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or just, yeah. Or just let it go up and down depending on what the next headline is. You know, yeah, yeah. you have no control over your stocks. I think I own $3,000 worth of stocks in my IRA. You know, I'm such, I'm not a stock guy, no interest in it. I like seeing my money go into tangible assets and inner city areas that I grew up around, you know, like Newark and Patterson. Like these are kind of rough areas that we grew up around and we're seeing them turn over and improve now. And we're playing a small role in that, you know, yeah. and, and feels good, really doesn't it? Cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, and drive down, like look at Newark, you know, it's a city that really uh, um, 10 years ago I was investing in Newark and people would say, why are you investing there? It's got terrible schools and high crime and it still does, but you know, it just, <laughs> it just, it just boomed, you know? I mean, have you ever heard of Manhattan? It's yeah. 20 minutes down the road, you know, look at everything else around it. It's three times the cost of what this is. It's not rocket science. You know, real estate is simple. It's easy. It, it, it really is when it comes down to it, you know, a look at a city and look at all the cities around it. If they're all three times the cost of that city, then you should probably buy the cheap city. Just don't, don't buy the worst blocks where it looks like Afghanistan, you know, yeah, find a yeah. decent downtown area and, and manage it well and, and wait, you know, quite yeah. frankly, right. <laughs> but um, not 10 years. It's not usually, 10 not, years. It's not usually not a 10 year turn. But when people invest with you, um, you know, most, or at least every deal that I'm part of, um, 
that Sarah's talking about, they have a five-year expected minimum, right? You're going to have the money in the, in the deal for five years yeah. with the expectation that within three to five years, we're either going to refinance the property and return your initial investment and still keep you on the, uh, uh, as part of the investment group. And then you're just going to get those routinely quarterly dividend checks or you sell the property in five years and you get the huge lump sum, right? Well, we, we, uh, so our strategy is always to uh, buy, renovate and refinance. Okay. Our goal is to do two refinances over a 10 year period, every four to five years. And at each refinance, the investor has the option to exit the investment. Okay. Meaning get out of the investment, uh, sell his initial uh, share in in the LLC. So get back his initial hundred thousand dollars or whatever the investment is. Let's say you invest a hundred thousand dollars and then four years later, we do the refinance. Uh, all through that time period, you've collected a quarterly cash flow check, gotten tax depreciation at the end of the year, and then you get a big lump sum at the refinance, okay? Usually about a 36% return investment or so around the refinance in one shot there. So at that point, the investor uh, can get back their initial investment because we just harvested the equity growth. So they can get back their initial 100000 They keep the, say, $50,000 in profits they made over the last five years between the cash flow and the refinance. And now at that time, they're going to have to uh, have some tax burden, okay, because they exit the investment. So they repay their tax depreciation. So as we learned in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the better strategy, the better tax strategy is to just stay invested and eventually you know, do another refinance down the road as we continue to reposition the property. And then year 15, we plan on doing a 1031 tax deference, selling the building, moving into a bigger building. You know, so your initial investment is say $100,000, make it back in the first eight to 10 years. And then by year 15, we're trading into a building twice that size and obviously makes twice the return. So um, that's another reason why I like this North Jersey market because our investment strategy isn't six months or one year or even five years. It's 20 years, really, you know, and, and that's, we saw like Hoboken, I, you probably heard of Hoboken, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's this area where 20 years ago, if you bought in Hoboken, people would might be like, well, it's kind of a dicey area, but we can see it coming around. <laughs> now you'd be a millionaire, buddy. We wouldn't even be working right now if you bought in Hoboken 20 years ago. You'd be sitting on that beach, you know, uh, listening to my Well, podcast. not right now. I, well, no, that's, I take that back. They did open them back up like last week. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hell, you'd have your own beach, Jay, if you bought Hoboken 20 years ago. Yeah, I wonder if, if I had a, uh, a piece of property – that backed up to the water if they would arrest me for being out there. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's private property. You're allowed to be on your private property. If there, you get arrested on your private property, you call me up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> there, but there is some, and I don't know the rule, but there is some law that even though you're, you own up to the water, they still, I, I don't know. There's something that I, I need to repairing rights, right? Repairing Maybe rights. something along those lines. I'm, I'm quickly going to get out of my uh, knowledge. Uh, real, that's here, my so. real estate exam 10 years yeah. ago. Repairing rights. That's when the river pulls away your land, I think. And okay. Or, or when it gives you more land, like it, the deposits create more land. Gotcha. That's your land. Repairing rights. All right. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> so I, I, I took, I, uh, so my wife had her real estate, license right when we moved to Florida. And then um, I started studying, took the test and there, or took the practice exam, went and got my fingerprints did, had my picture taken, all that stuff. And I never signed up to take the actual test oh. because she passed it on her first time. <laughs> and I am not a good test taker. I am more of a doer, you know, just really focusing on um, 
the process of everything. Mm. The more I do it, the more I'm going to understand it, the better I'm going to learn it. I'm not good at taking tests. And I knew I wasn't going to pass it. And I did not want to take it because I didn't want to hold that over my head for the rest of my life. So <laughs> there's one thing I got you on. Uh, anyway, that's awesome, man. Look at you 10 years ago. <laughs> I think that's the right thing, unless I mix it up with something. But no, you know, that real estate license, man, I'm glad I got it. Um, I'd yeah. say the easiest dollar I ever made in real estate was by listing and selling homes. So if people are trying to get started and they want to learn the industry and make some money, um, that's a great way to do it. And I got started in the middle of recession, which was really hard because I didn't make much money very quickly, but it forced me to learn short sales and bank yeah. owned properties. And the only people buying houses were very savvy investors yep. that I learned from and built relationships with them. And one day I said, Hey, instead of buying this property and me making a couple percentage, why don't we invest in a building together and I'll make equity instead and you will as well. And that kind of launched the investment strategy. That's awesome. That is so cool. Um, well, I know we're coming up here on time and I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you. We've mentioned peoplescapitalgroup.com a couple of times. What's the best way for, for people to reach out, Aaron? A.A. Ron, sorry. A.A. Ron. Yeah, no, uh, peoplescapitalgroup.com is our website there. You can check out our podcast, the Passive Cashflow Podcast there. That's also on YouTube. And we have a YouTube channel called People's Capital Group on YouTube there. I try to put out a video every every week. But um, yeah, our website, People's Capital Group has all the information and people can sign up there. And the first step is kind of scheduling a call to get you uh, qualified to initial investor interview. And uh, so if people want to do that, they can go to our website and, and uh, put their information in and we'll get in touch with you. And uh, my staff will qualify you and we'll set up a call. And you know, I'm an open book, my friend. I'm, I'm here to educate. And even if you're not quite ready to invest, just want to learn more about it. Um, that's yeah. what we do here at PCG. Best way to, I agree with you, best way to do it right? Is, mm -hmm. is just help, help other people. I, I, I had a, uh, a potential mastermind member. Uh, well, actually I saw him sign up here just a little bit ago. He was, he's like, man, I, I want to join, but I only have bought one property in my, you know, this newfound thing that I want to get involved in the real estate investing. I was like, yeah, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, I just don't think I'm, I'm ready for a mastermind. I said, no, you're, you're perfect example for the mastermind. He goes, but I have nothing I can give. I was like, mm. here's the thing. I said, if you ever wonder why <clears throat> most real estate investors want to continuously educate or don't mind mentoring you, is that the more we teach, the more we learn. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you feel, I know you're probably gonna feel like you're bugging people because I did the same thing, but it's very reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. it, the law of reciprocity comes into play and the more you ask, the more we're able to teach you based off our experience, the more we're actually learning. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a weird concept for me to grasp, but it finally slapped me in the face about a year and a half ago. And, and I'm with you. I just got it. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, when you teach something, even if it's your story or your business model, you know, I've done over 30 podcasts with on, on different podcasts. Right? So I've been on over 30 different podcasts and everyone's a little bit different, but for the most part, I explain my business model. I explain my story and I explain my why. And it helps me actually understand why am I busting my butt so hard? Why am yep. I feeling like I'm hitting my head against a wall some days? You know, oh yeah, because I've been doing this for 10 years and there's been harder days. And you know, I, I have a passion for this and I, I've always wanted to own those big apartment buildings. Ever since I was a little boy, my father owned a condo and this big complex and I go and help him paint the walls and turnovers. And I said, I'm going to own a complex like this one day. And I had no idea how it worked or what it was, <laughs> but I knew that was where my passion lied. And, you know, as I grown into a man and, and figured that out a little more, it's, it's been quite a journey, but by doing these podcasts and, and 
re-educating you know, people and just explaining our story, it reiterates why we do what we do and uh, keeps us on track too, like kind of pinpoints our business model too and our yeah. message. So I'd get, tell that story just to help anybody listening who wants to find out more about New Jersey investing. Go to peoplescapitalgroup.com, schedule a time with Aaron and his staff because they are there. The more you're going to ask questions, the more it's going to help them out, the more they're going to help you out. Um, so definitely do that. So, hey, Aaron, I've enjoyed it, man. I don't know that we've connected before this, but I, I'm definitely interested in what all you have going on. I've got a bunch of links I've got to look up now for the show notes to put in there for easy access for myself uh, and for others. But thank you for being on here and let's do this again real soon. Maybe Thanks, post, post COVID when things are back to normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully sooner <laughs> than later, right? Maybe we'll Absolutely. do a, a July 4th uh, celebration here. We'll drink some I like drones. it. I like yeah. it. Uh, there you go. All right, man. Happy Cinco de Mayo and I will chat with you soon. Thanks buddy. Have a good one. See you.